Welcome to the Water to Water podcast with your host, Kevin James. In this episode, I would like to look at God's grace by looking at the relationship between Jacob and Esau. And by looking at the relationship, I hope to try and help all of us understand the lavishness and the unfathomable measure of uh, God's grace unto us. The title for the stalk has been borrowed from a book written by Terry Virgo, who is the founder of the New Frontiers Church in the UK. And even though the theme Terry talks about in the book is the same, I can assure you that I'm not plagiarizing his book. And I would recommend all of you to read his book because it explains in the simplest terms the power of God's grace and its pursuit of us. So the story of Jacob and Esau is something that a lot of us would be familiar with. In fact, you could argue that it's one of the most important brotherly relationships in biblical history. You may consider Cain and Abel's relationship, Aaron and Moses, and maybe even James and John's relationship from the New Testament as important. However, personally, I think Jacob and Esau tops that list because there is so many lessons and so many morals that we can ascertain from their relationship with each other, their relationship with their parents, their relationship with their own families, and most importantly, their relationship with God. Now, just as a reminder, I'd like to give a brief overview of Jacob and Esau's lineage. So they are the grandchildren of Abraham and Sarah, who have a son called Isaac after waiting for 25 years, after God promised them that they would have a child. Isaac then marries Rebecca, who gives birth to twins, uh, non-identical twins, called Jacob and Esau. And it is recorded in Genesis chapter 25, verses 25 to 26, that Esau was hairy at birth and born first, whilst Jacob was born second and was grabbing at Esau's heel during the birthing process. So fast forward many years of their lives later, we see the story in Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 to 28. It goes like this. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, man of the field, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Because Isaac had a taste for wild game, He loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So from the beginning of the story, we can see that even though they're twins, they are in contrast to each other. Their appearance is different. Esau is hairy, whilst Jacob is not. Their personality is different. Esau loved being outside, whilst Jacob liked being inside. And even the affection and the love of their parents are in contrast to each other. Isaac prefers Esau, whilst Rebekah prefers Jacob. I always found this quite interesting because if you were to ask most parents, they would tell you that they love their children equally. But we can see here that the Bible is stating that the relationship between the parents towards the children were different based on who they were. This becomes important later on in the story. Now, let's move on to the next part of the narration. Genesis chapter 25 verses 29 to 34. It goes like this. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of the red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. 
What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And we can begin to see that cracks are developing within their relationship. You have Esau here who's come home after a long day of work and asks for some food from Jacob. And Jacob, instead of being a nice brother, a pleasant person, uses his opportunity to trade the birthright of Esau. Now, to those of you who are unfamiliar with this, the birthright is basically the right of the firstborn. So since Esau was firstborn, even though they're twins, Esau would naturally get more land, more property, more privileges compared to Jacob. And Jacob used his opportunity to swap the birthright of Esau with himself for some stew. And we can see here that Jacob was opportunistic and willing to do anything to get his own way. And Esau, on the other hand, was a shining reminder for all of us on the importance of not losing something eternal for something temporary. There is a saying that goes, never find a permanent solution to a temporary problem, or uh, never make a decision when you're too emotional or too stressed. This story from the Bible and many secular sayings all recognizes that decisions made when you're in a stressful situation or you're uh, very emotional can often be the wrong ones. And here we see Esau do just that. In his hunger, he decides to swap something eternal, his birthright, for something pleasurable for the moment. And like I said before, this is a reminder for us that there will be many opportunities and possibilities for us to throw away something that is unseen and eternal or for something that is seen and temporary. And so the people listening to me today, I want to use this as an opportunity to remind you that there are many things in the world, things like porn, other temptations of the sexual nature, uh, the consumption of all of this will destroy you. It will destroy you and you cannot resist it unless you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 says, Be sober-minded and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Proverbs 6.27 Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt? That's a rhetorical question. Pretty self-explanatory. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 12 For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And this battle is something that we always face every day. It's a battle of our bodies and our spirit. But Paul goes on to say in Corinthians chapter 6 verses 12 Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul doesn't say struggle, wrestle, or fight with sexual immorality. He says to run away, flee it before it destroys us. For the sake of your souls and your eternity and your current life, do not be like Esau. Do not forsake what is eternal and unseen for something that's temporary and seen. So we can see Jacob's personality develop here. And when we read the next passage in Genesis chapter 27, it's something that's very familiar to us, but also it's quite heartbreaking. It doesn't just break for Esau, but it also breaks for Isaac. And I'll explain what I mean after we've gone through this passage. So, this is the first verse. 
When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, here I am, Esau replied. Look, said Isaac, I am now old and do not know the day of my death. Take your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out into the field to hunt some game for me. Then prepare a tasty dish that I love and bring it to me so that I might bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening to what Isaac told his son Esau. So when Esau went into the field to hunt a game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I overheard your father saying to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare a tasty dish to eat, so that I may bless you in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now my son, listen to my voice and do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so that I may make them into a tasty dish for your father, the kind he loves. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. The reason why I find this passage quite heartbreaking is often we hear about Rebecca's and Isaac's marriage being the one that is ideal. It is a blueprint to how marriages should certainly start. But I'll tell you one thing. What Rebecca did here is not something that I would say a happy wife would have done to her husband. What do I mean by this? Imagine we change the setting and we make it the 21st century. Your husband wants to write his will for his son. And it is completely, in this case, the father's right to give what and how much he wants to which son he pleases. That is his right. Abraham he gave his inheritance to Isaac instead of Ishmael. Ishmael was his son too. It was Abraham's right to do it. And here, it was Isaac's right to give the wealth to Esau. So now your husband wants to give his wealth and his property and his blessing to his eldest son. But imagine the wife deceiving a man who is of old age, who is blind. He can't see the paperwork properly for the will, but he knows one thing for sure. And that is he wants to give his wealth to Esau. But here enters the wife. She manipulates and deceives her blind husband by changing the name on the will from Esau to Jacob. And now does that sound like a happy marriage to all of us? I don't think so. And so this is a problem with using this story here as an ideal blueprint. We need to look at the whole marriage in context to understand what's going on. But anyway, that's a side point. Let's return to the uh, text. So the situation is Rebecca has hashed a plan and has told Jacob this. So we're going into verse 11 and this is Jacob's response. Jacob answered his mother Rebecca, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I am smooth skinned. What if my father touches me? Then I would be revealed to him as a deceiver and I would bring upon myself a curse rather than a blessing. Verse 13, his mother replied, your curse be on me, my son. Just obey my voice and go get them for me. Verse 14, so Jacob went and got two goats and brought them to his mother who made the tasty food his father loved. So we can see here that when Rebecca hatches the plan, Jacob's first response was uh, getting worried. He was he was not completely happy with the plan. And let's be quite clear on why Jacob's worried. He isn't actually worried about deceiving his father. He's worried about being caught deceiving his father. He wasn't telling his mother, oh, let's not cheat uh, Father Isaac. Let's not cheat him. But he wanted to ensure that if he is going to go for this risky plan, there needed to be a fall guy. And the fall guy in this scenario would be his mother, who agreed to take on the curse. And so, if things go well, Jacob gets the blessing and inheritance. And if things go badly, his mother can take the fall. 
and we can see classic Jacob here. The Jacob that will do anything to save his own bacon. As soon as Rebecca said, whatever curse that falls, let it fall on me, he went out and got that goat. There is no risk in the situation for Jacob. It is, as some of us would say, a win-win situation for Jacob. Returning to the text again, verse 15. And Rebekah took the finest clothes in the house that belonged to her older son Esau, and she put them on her younger son Jacob. She also put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed her son Jacob the tasty food and bread she had made. So Jacob went to his father and said, My father, here I am, he answered. Which one are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac asked his son, How did you ever find it so quickly, my son? Because the Lord your God brought it to me, he replied. This is the thing with Jacob. What a guy. He knows exactly what to tell his parents. What a perfect answer. It's as if in Sunday school when you're asking students a question, and often they say, when they're not paying attention, they'll give you the answer of, Oh, uh, Jesus, or Jesus is my saviour. Or just words that they've heard, or phrases they've heard, that kind of makes sense and potentially answers most questions that they get in Sunday school. Uh, it sounds like an answer like that. But regardless, as soon as Isaac hears his answer, he's happy and he moves on to the next question. Verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son, Esau, or not? So Jacob came close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are like that of Esau. Isaac did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Again he asked, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. Serve me, said Isaac, and let me eat some of my son's game so that I might bless you. Jacob brought it to him and he ate, and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come near and kiss me, my son. And verses 27 uh, onwards, all the way to uh, 29, it's Jacob being blessed by Isaac. Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing him and Jacob had left his father's presence, his brother Esau returned from the hunt. He too made some tasty food, brought it to his father and said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of your son's game so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac replied, Who are you? I am Esau, your firstborn, he answered. Isaac began to tremble violently and said, Who was it then who hunted the game and brought it to me? Before you came in, I ate it all and blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. We see as the verses go down that, Esau is distraught, father is uh, distraught as well, Esau keeps begging Isaac for a blessing but Isaac doesn't have anything to give and in fact the blessing that he asks over and over again from Isaac ends up with being kind of like a, like a curse and in verse 41 this is what Esau says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him and Esau said in his heart, the days of my mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When the words of her older son Esau were relayed to Rebekah, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said, Look, your brother Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So now, my son, obey my voice and flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. Until your brother's rage against you wanes and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So here we have a family that is breaking down from within. A wife's deception, a son's deceit, leading to a relationship or relationships within the family being broken down. 
and it culminates with Esau promising in his heart that he will murder his brother who had stolen his birthright and stolen his father's blessing from him in that process. And it is here where Rebekah warns Jacob to run away and return only when his brother's anger has subsided. This is far from a perfect family. And so let's move on to the next part where many years later, Jacob and Esau are about to meet each other again. And what we see here is a very anxious and very uh, distraught Jacob. And the reason why he is anxious and distraught is because of what he remembers of Esau's threat against his life. And perhaps because of his guilt that was eating up at him for his deception against his father and his brother. In Genesis chapter 32 verses 9 to 12, this is what Jacob prays to God in this anxiety. Verse 9, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. I think this is an amazing prayer. We see the character shift from Jacob. A shift of almost his personality. Because before, he was a kind of guy who would have tried to get his way by deception. He was a kind of guy who would like to have shortcuts in life. But here, he realizes the chickens are coming home to roost. But what we see here is he acknowledges who he is. He realizes that he's completely unworthy of all the good things that has happened to him. He realizes in that prayer, as we can see, that everything that had been given to him had been not because of his merit, but rather because of God's grace. And what we see next in chapter 33 is an answer to Jacob's prayer by God. Chapter 33, verse 4, we read, But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I mean, imagine this. In Genesis chapter 27, verses 41, we see Esau cursing Jacob and planning to murder him. But in Genesis chapter 33, verse 4, we see both Jacob and Esau embracing each other and weeping in each other's hands. How is this possible? How is Esau's heart Soften. How has Esau's heart changed and seemingly forgive Jacob after Jacob had stolen everything from Esau? We can see that it is God who has worked in the heart. The picture of Esau forgiving Jacob after everything Jacob had done to him. When I'm not saying Esau is perfect. He's far from it. He's done lots of questionable and immoral things. But neither was Jacob and neither were we. I think Jacob's reconciliation with Esau is similar to how our reconciliation is with God. Now, I'm not equating Esau to God, 
don't get me wrong here, but the idea of the reconciliation. Jacob cheated. Jacob deserved to be punished. In terms of justice and fairness, Jacob deserved to get worse than he had actually received. And we are no different. We are in the same vein as Jacob. We have cheated. We have lied. We have deceived. We have committed murder and adultery in our hearts. And it would be perfectly just of God to punish us for our sin. But the very fact that despite us, that despite everything that we've done, he still chooses to save us. And this is the revelation of his grace to us. This is the picture, the height and the depth and the width of God's grace unto us. And the definition of grace, some of you may know, is unmerited favour. And so when, when Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This is what it means, that it is completely unmerited. And the only thing we do, the only thing we bring for our salvation is our sin. And we receive his grace completely unmerited, undeserving. And we put our trust and faith in him for our salvation and not within ourselves. And so when we talk to other people and when we evangelize to other people, we don't come from a position of, of arrogance. We don't come in a position of pride, but rather the opposite. We come from a position of humility because we have been saved by grace that we did not deserve. And so as this episode ends, our prayer must be one of thankfulness, of gratitude. And as Jacob prayed, we are completely undeserving of everything he had ever given us. We have come with nothing and we leave with everything in Jesus Christ. And I hope this episode has watered to water. Goodbye.